Now, in chapter 11, he continues his warnings to them as they are about to come into the land. And he reminds them again of the miracles that God did for them in bringing them out of Egypt. How he spoiled the Pharaoh and all of his land. How he destroyed the armies of Egypt there in the Red Sea. And how he watched over them, nurtured them, kept them, preserved them all through the wilderness right up to this moment and what he did to those that rebelled against them. Dathan and Abiram, how the earth opened up and swallowed them. Your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. So you've watched God's work. Therefore, you are to keep all his commandments, which I command you this day. Be strong, go in and possess the land that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, a land that flows with milk and honey. The land where you go to possess is not the land of Egypt from which you came out, where you sowed your seed and had to water it with your foot like a garden of herbs. But it's a land where you're going to get sufficient rain, where there will be plenty of streams and rivulets and so forth, drinking water, the rain from heaven, the land, that your Lord cares for. And this part, now I love it. This particular spot of land is the land that the Lord cares for. And the eyes of the Lord, your God, are always upon it. Verse 12. From the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year, now it will come to pass, if you will hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Then God will give you the rain in its due season, the first and the latter rain, that you may gather your corn and your wine and your oil, and I'll send the grass in the fields for your cattle, that you may eat and be full. Verses 12 through 15. So when you come in, as long as you love God and serve God, God is going to bless you. The land will be blessed. You'll have rain in its season, the early and the latter rain. You'll have green grass in the field for your cattle. You'll have good crops. One requirement, though, just love God and serve God with all your heart and with all your soul. But take heed that your heart is not deceived, that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. And he shut up the heavens that there be no rain, and the land will not yield their fruit, lest you perish quickly from off the good land from which the Lord gives you. Therefore, lay up these words in your heart and in your soul. Bind them for a sign upon your hand that they might be as frontlets between your eyes. Verses 16 through 18. In other words, remember this. Now, the interesting thing, again, you can get into a ritual, but you can, in the ritual, forget the meanings. And they still go through the ritual of binding their phylacteries. They go through the ritual of binding the little law upon their hand, binding this little box with the law upon their foreheads. And the mezuzahs on their door and kissing of the mezuzahs. They go through the whole ritualistic thing. But that's all that it is, a ritual. 
there's no real serving God and loving God with all their hearts and souls. The ritual has been substituted for that. And we must beware lest we allow a ritual to substitute for our reality. It's a deception. They were warned that they should not be deceiving and go worshiping other gods. Though the warning came, yet they did not heed the warning, and thus even as God pronounced the judgments that should come, they did come because God's word is true. Teach them to your children. Speak to them when you're sitting down at the table, when you're lying down in the room at night, when you're walking with them in the path. Write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates, verses 19 through 20. Now I think, personally, it's great to have mottos around the house, scriptures pasted up on the walls. For you ladies on your mirrors, you might have the scripture, Proverbs 31.30, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Amen. That around the house, we have the word of God, and God is saying, look, put it all over the place. Write it out there. This is good graffiti. So put these words in your heart, he says, and in your soul. Put them around the place that they might be reminders to you and to your children to walk after the Lord. It was the Lord that gave you the land, and if you serve him and love him, you'll remain and continue in the land. But if you forsake him, you'll be driven from the land. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments, verse 22, that I command you, and to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to cleave to him, then will the Lord drive out all the nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations, mightier than yourself. Every place where you put the soles of your feet shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river to the river Euphrates, even to the utmost sea shall your coast be, verses 22 through 24. But actually, they, they never did conquer all that God had given to them. They never did possess all that was theirs by God's divine decree. And I think there's an unfortunate parallel for our life. I don't think that we ever possess all that God has for us, all that God would do for us. It's there. All we have to do by faith is to go in and claim it and take it. And yet all of us come short of the glory of God, that which God would do for us if we would just step in and take it. And it's tragic that when the borders were so expanded by God and all you have to do is possess it, that they failed to possess all that God had given. Even as it's tragic that we are so often we so often fail to possess all that God has given us. Now, many times that we fail to possess for different reasons, intellectual limitations or restrictions that we've been, that have placed upon God by our presuppositions, so many reasons why we fail to enter into the fullness of God has for our lives. And there will be no one that'll be able to stand before you because God is going to be with you. But he said, Behold, if I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord, 
a curse if you will not obey. Verses 25 through 28. Now that's always the way that it is. God sets before you the blessing and the curse. It's your choice. You can choose the path of God's blessing in your life, or you can choose the path that will lead you to God's curse upon your life. Now, it isn't that God curses you. It is the curse that is already on that manner of life. God is warning you that the manner of life has a curse already upon it. Now, if you are constantly warning a person that the path that he is taking is leading to a pit of quicksand, and he's going down the path, everyone he meets says, oh, hey, be careful down there, a path that leads to a pit of quicksand. You can't go past it. And the guy keeps going. And as he gets there, someone says, hey, be careful, man. Don't go out there. That's quicksand. You'll get lost. You know, you'll sink in. But he continues to ignore all the warnings. He continues on the path and he gets mired in the quicksand and he gets caught in it and goes under. And as he's going under, he curses all the people that he met along the path for not stopping him. (laughs) Is that right? Of course it isn't. They warned him where the path was leading. Now look, God has warned you where your path is leading. If you disobey him, if you rebel against him, God said, hey, that path is leading to destruction. And he warns you all the way along the path. Now, if you go to destruction, it isn't that God sent you there. It's that you deliberately went there against all of God's endeavors to keep you from there. Actually, Jesus Christ, in a sense, has laid down before the gate of hell. And you've, you've literally got to cross over his body to get to hell. You've got to trample underfoot the Son of God and count the blood of his covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing in order to get to hell. He's done everything to stop you, lying right down in your path, making you tramp over him to get there. And if you end up there, you surely can't blame God. You surely can't blame Jesus. You can only blame your own stubborn rebellion against God. For God did all that he could short of the violation of your will to stop you from going. I've set before you a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey, a curse if you don't obey. When you get in the land, put these blessings, the blessings on Mount Gerizim, the curse on Mount Ebal, verses 26 through 29. Now, when you come into the land, the middle of the land, the area where Abraham first came, the place where Jacob lived for such a time, dug a well right there in the area of Shechem. On the south side is Mount Gerizim. On the north side is Mount Ebal. And when they came into the land, some of the men were to go up to the top of Gerizim, And they were to shout to the people who were in this valley between the two mountains, shout down to them the blessing of the land and the conditions of blessings. And as these men would shout down, blessed be you in the fields, the people say, amen. And in your cities, amen. And they would shout down these blessings. But on Mount Ebal, there's another bunch of guys that were shouting the curses that would come to them if they disobeyed. So on Gerizim, the blessing was placed, and they would shout down to the people in the valley. The people would consent, Amen! Amen! And from Ebal, the curses were pronounced, and again the consenting, 
Yes, that's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. So be it. So that must have been quite an experience. It must have been a very remarkable and moving experience to have a million or so people filling this valley and this bunch of guys on the top of Mount Gerizim calling down upon them the blessings of God if they would walk and obey and keep the commandments of God, the things that God would do for them. And then to hear the warnings of God from the other side, it meant to be impressed in their minds so they wouldn't forget. But unfortunately, they forgot. Chapter 12. Now, in chapter 12, he gives the conditions whereby they should enjoy the blessings within the land. And first of all, they are to utterly destroy all of the places where they're the people that inhabited the land worshipped. They were to destroy all of the groves, all of the high places, all of the altars, all of the gods that they served. Everything was to be utterly obliterated so that they would not have any curiosity or any memory of those gods at all. Overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, cut down the graven images, and destroy the names of them out of the place. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord God shall choose out of all the tribes to put his name. There shall his habitation be that you shall seek, and here you will come. Chapter 12, verses 3 and 5. Now, God says, when you come into the land, then I'm going to appoint a place for you to come to worship. And you are not to just worship me in any place in the land. You're not to just worship me on the hilltops and in the groves or so forth. Now, of course, the Greeks always took the hills and they always worshiped God on the tops of the hills. The Acropolises, the outcroppings, and those high places within the cities was always where those Greek temples were built. And so it was a common custom in ancient religious systems to build altars on top of mountains places of worship or to plant groves and to worship in these groves. But the, but the worship of their gods was always a very licentious type of worship based around the sexual reproduction abilities because the mystery of life and the creation of life and reproduction was something that was always an awe and a wonder and a mystery to them, which of course it is a very beautiful mystery. They were closer than we are. They were closer to birth and closer to life in many ways than we are. And to them, it was an awe and it was a wonder. And so they worshiped the reproduction principles and the capacities of reproduction and their worship of their gods often involved relationships and the design for reproduction and so forth. It was just a part of the whole corrupt system of worship in their corruption of God making God like a creature and like unto man, which things actually is done by the Mormons in a sense. Their God is as a man coming to earth with one of his celestial wives and reproducing in a human manner, the first people and so forth. And even as the Mormons themselves will be gods and go out then and reproduce, so there's a similarity there. Now I will choose a place when you come into the land you're not to just worship God anywhere, 
and there shall you bring your burnt offerings, your tithes, and free will offerings. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Oh man, that sounds like America. For you are not as yet come to the rest, to the inheritance that the Lord your God gives you. Now, right now, you worship God. Every man just does what he should feel, but you haven't yet come into the rest of the inheritance. But when you go over Jordan to dwell in the land which God is going to give you to inherit, and he gives you rest, your enemies round about, and you're dwelling safely, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. And there shall you bring all that I command you, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Now, God wants you to rejoice before him. And I feel sorry for those churches where the people feel inhibited to worship or rejoice in the Lord, where their worship is so solemn that there isn't a real rejoicing in the heart. And I love to just have that neat kind of hilarity that we can have in rejoicing in the Lord as we thank God and praise God for his goodness. And God wanted the people just to rejoice in him. He wants you to rejoice in him. But he was going to establish a place. Now, the place, first of all, was in Bethany. But then later, they moved it to Jerusalem. And this is the place that God chose. And there, the temple was finally built. The place that was chosen by God in the land where the people were to come and to worship God. Now, take heed that you don't offer burnt offerings to God in every place that you see. Verse 13. They weren't to be offered anywhere in all the land, but they're at the place that was appointed by God. Now, you may kill and eat meat wherever you live. You get hungry for meat, go ahead and eat it. Have a feast. But most of the time, they would offer what they ate to God as a peace offering. And having offered it unto God as a peace offering, then they would get the lamb or the ox or whatever would be offered to God as a sacrifice, a peace offering. But in the peace offering, you got a piece of it back. You offered it to God, and then they took and burnt the fat and so forth unto God as a sweet-smelling savor, and all the meat barbecue kind of smell going up, and you got to eat the meat. You'd sit down and eat with God. Just have a great time and fellowshipping with God. And God ate part of it. It was sacrificed and went up in the smoke and burnt offering to God. And God knows you're sitting down and the idea was eating with God, communing with God. So most of the time you're going to go ahead and have a lamb for dinner. Well, that's great. You take that lamb down to the priest, let him offer the sacrifice to God, and then you go ahead and roast the thing, and you're eating with God. And so you have a consciousness of fellowshipping with God whenever you ate meat. The idea that I'm eating with God, I'm fellowshipping with God, I'm communing with God in the eating process. And it was a very beautiful thing. Now, when they're going to be in the land, and they're going to be scattered all over the land, they won't be able to bring the ox all the way down every time they want to eat meat. He can't go all the way to Jerusalem. So eat it in your cities. You can go ahead, but don't offer it as a sacrifice to God. You're not to make a burnt offering of it. Only when you come to Jerusalem was it to be offered 
as a burnt offering. So when you come to Jerusalem, then you would go through offering it unto the Lord and then eating of it. However, they were never to eat the blood. They were to pour it out on the earth as water. Verse 16. And this was to be a perpetual thing with them. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and they were thus to be, it was to be thoroughly bled all of the meat before they would eat it. And so he tells them the kind of animals that they can eat within their gates, anything that their hearts desire of the clean animals. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God tells you. Verse 18. If you offer them as an offering, a free will offering, a peace offering, then you're going to eat it in the specified place that God has commanded. You shall rejoice before the Lord. And again, he tells you that in all that you put your hands to. And when the Lord your God shall enlarge your border as he has promised, and you shall say, I will eat flesh because my soul longs to eat flesh, you may eat flesh wherever your soul desires after it. Verses 18 through 20. Only again, be sure you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life of the flesh. Now observe and hear all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you, and take heed to yourself that you're not snared by following after the gods of the land that you're going in to possess. Verses 28 and 30. What a trap, man. The worship of these gods became to the people. The curiosity that you might say, how did these nations serve their gods? Verse 30. Now, God says, I don't want you to even be curious about it. Just utterly destroy it and don't wonder curiously. Well, how did they worship? You know, there is a strange curiosity that some people have concerning some of the religious systems out there. Well, how did they worship? And it's dangerous to inquire into spiritism spiritualism, and all just to find out what they do. It's a bad curiosity. It's a dangerous curiosity, and it can become a snare to you. You shall not do to the Lord your God for every abomination unto the Lord which he hates have they done. Verse 31. They've done every abominable, hateful thing. Everything that God hates, they've done unto their gods. For they have even burned their sons and daughters in fire unto their gods. Verse 31. Human sacrifice, infant sacrifice, was very common. Burning their children in the fire, heating their little gods until they were glowing so hot, and then putting their children in the outstretched arms of this little iron idol and letting them just fry to death as they worship their gods. God said, every abominable thing that I hate, they've done in worship of their gods. You're not to do it. You're not even to be curious. Now, everything that I command you, observe it. You shall not add to it or diminish from it. Verse 32. Now, over and over, God warns us about adding to or taking away from that which he has commanded. Chapter 13. Now, in chapter 13, the warning against false prophets. If a man comes in and does some kind of wonder or sign, and he's a dreamer of dreams or a prophet, and he gives some kind of 
of a sign and it comes to pass. But if that man would then lead you to worship other gods, you are to put him to death. Even though he may have been able to work some kind of miracle. Now, let me say that there is a strange fascination fascination that we seem to have toward supernatural things. But this can be a dangerous fascination because someone is able to bring to pass some kind of phenomenon for which there is no scientific explanation does not necessarily follow that that phenomenon comes from God. Satan is a deceiver and he is able to create all kinds of spectacular phenomenon. Thus, we are not to be drawn to phenomena and use phenomena as a criteria for truth. The person who is seeking after miracles is on dangerous territory, for when the Antichrist comes, he is going to come with lying signs and miracles that he's able to work before the people. There is an unhealthy absorption in miracles in many people's lives. You need to become thoroughly absorbed in Jesus Christ. There you'll have no problem. You'll see the miracles, the miracles that he'll work in your life, the miracles that he'll work through your life. But we should not really be putting a lot of emphasis and attention and concern in the seeing of miracles, for Satan is able to use them as a tool to deceive us. So here were prophets, and they were able to give a sign or a wonder, and they would come to pass it that they would lead them to worship other gods. And the Lord said, put them to death. For your Lord, your God, proves you to know whether or not you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, that you should walk after the Lord your God and reverence him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave to him. Verses 3 and 4. Oh, yes, Lord. Now, if one of your family, a brother, a son, a daughter, or even a wife should seek to lead you to worship another god, God said you're to put them to death and yours shall be the first hand against them. You're not to hide it or hide their sin, even though you love them. But God was anxious to develop a spiritual purity among these people, lest they become infected by the lascivious worship of the pagan gods that the people were worshiping and be corrupted and lose the rights and the place within the land. You shall consent to their death. You're not to hearken to their cries, neither shall your eye pity them, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal them. Verse 8. Now, if you hear of a city where the people in the city have decided to serve some other god, then you're to arm yourself and come against that city and utterly destroy the inhabitants of that city. That desire that God had of maintaining a spiritual purity. Oh God, that we would be people that want to maintain a spiritual purity, Lord. Father, our current world is so messed up. Lord, it is so difficult to navigate these waters. Yet, if we look at your light, and we see you, Lord, as the lighthouse, that we might be able to navigate the rocks in these muddy and dangerous waters. Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we try so hard 
to follow you. Father, keep our hearts hot toward you and keep our hearts hot toward your word so that we can live lives that are hot towards God that can help other people see the loveliness and the beautifulness of God, that they can see their need for salvation, that they can see their need for a new life. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus who gave his life on the cross to save us from our sins so that we, in our belief and our faith in Jesus, could have eternal life in heaven. Father, thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.